Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and today I have a friend with me. I have Annette from Excess Baggage. You had to change your username, right, Annette? Wasn't that a thing? Uh, get into it. We'll get into it. We can get into it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Thrifters Villa, Annette. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, I'm sure Jen is jealous because she wants to be here, but she'll get to listen to the conversation. Um, hi, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am good. So for those of you who don't know Annette, she is the master of coach, vintage coach, modern coach. You are. She's laughing. She is. You flatter uh, me. You flatter me. <laughs> Um, she is excellent at leather restoration. She has so much knowledge and we're just really excited to have you here and have that conversation with everyone. I think it's super important to have this understanding as we're in a world where we come across all these things and sometimes we're not necessarily confident in what we're finding. Uh, so before we get into all that fun stuff, why don't you give everyone a little backstory intro to who you are, how you get into reselling and how you get into leather goods. Wow. Um, I came into all of this sort of through like, I feel like the back door. Um, <laughs> I was a designer for 10 years, uh, working in the fashion industry in New York City. Um, and I was always selling things on the side. And this is like during the time period where like, the internet was really like bursting onto the scene, iPhones were bursting onto the scene. Um, eBay was like a baby. Um, and, you know, in my job as a designer, I was constantly getting all these free samples or going to sample sales and getting things for a low cost and being, you know, in debt for my education. <laughs> I, I just one day put two and two together. I had like 10 wallets from Sam Edelman where I was working at the time. And I was like, you know, let me just put these up on eBay for like $20 a pop and see what happens. And I sold out. Um, you know, from then on, like any job that I had that I got samples from, I would, I was just like, well, let me just, you know, list them on eBay and, and try to make a couple dollars, um, on the side. And I would use that money to pay my loans down. And I did pay them down relatively quickly because of that. But like, reselling still hadn't entered my mind at that point. Um, I kept working, I kept working, I finally paid my loans off in 2018. And by that point, I was really looking for a change in my life in my career. Um, I wasn't getting what I wanted to out of my design career. Uh, I wasn't at the point where I thought I should be um, for the experience and the, you know, time invested that I had been in the industry. And that was around the time where I started looking around for something else to do. Um, and I, I was selling on Poshmark casually. Also at that time, I started with Poshmark in 2015. Um, and I, I remember like one day just looking on YouTube and I discovered um, Jack and Ryan's channel. We love Jack and Ryan here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I had this aha moment on the couch where they did a video about the bins. And I was like, Goodwill has an outlet? <laughs> like, what is going Sign on? me up. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I was I was reselling on the side still, like on Poshmark, just like, but I was, it was very casual. Just like whenever I had time on a weekend, I would list a few things. I had no idea about the algorithm, had no idea about keywords. I didn't think it was possible to make a living reselling. Um, and then I started watching Jack and Ryan and other YouTubers. And I was like, okay, something's going on here. And this is really speaking to me. And I have access to these bags that are basically new. Right. Um, let me get into this. And I left my job in 2019. 2020 rolls around. I'm thinking about, should I go for another design job? What should I do? Then the pandemic hits and I'm like, you know what, let me dive into this reselling thing. And I never looked back. I spent that whole year uh, during the pandemic learning. I took a mentorship, um, just, you know, thrifting, trying different things, trying to find my feet in the community. 
Um, and then by 2021, I had gone full time. Um, and I learned to like lean into the whole bag thing because um, there just wasn't anybody talking about it, uh, at least not through the lens of specifically reselling handbags and accessories. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, people were selling, reselling those things, but nobody was really approaching it from like, hey, this is my specialty. This is what I'm focused on. And let me show you how you can do it too. And so that kind of became my um, my platform. And I started building my social medias from there. And I just, I get a lot of joy out of sharing my knowledge. I was shocked that there was such a poor understanding when I came into everything. And maybe it's because again, being in the design industry for bags. I was going to say, your background definitely plays a part in that too. I I was like, you know, maybe it's just me. And I, I just know a lot of this from my job, but everything, this is the magical thing. Everything up to that point in a way, when I look back had been leading me to reselling from right. when I was a kid going to flea markets with my parents and like selling stuff from our, you know, basement, um, uh, selling, you know, samples I would get from work on the side. Um, I remember one job I had where I was, I was working for Sam Edelman, um, the license, not the actual, yeah. um, person (laughs) and um the company closed down and they had so many prototypes and samples in their like closet archive that they had to get rid of and they didn't own the licenses anymore so they had to sell them and they couldn't sell them like you know to a store or any liquidator or anything because they just you know that wouldn't have been legal right so they gave them away to everybody that worked there and it was like me and like five other people Wow. And I look back on that moment and I'm like, that's when I should have taken everything I could have and started reselling. But I didn't because I still had that mentality of like, I went to school, I invested Mm -hmm. in school, I need a respectable job, I need a traditional job, I need a safe job. Um, You know, my parents are immigrants. And so I grew up with that mentality of like, you know, safety is best and Mm -hmm. security is best. And so it it took me a long time to free myself and realize that the world is changing. It's not the world that my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, navigated when they were my age. Technology is not the same when they were my age. So I have to take the lead on this and craft my own career and craft my own life and I I never look back since and I just I love it I love the sustainability aspect of it um, which is really the whole reason I went into design school was that I wanted to design sustainable things that never happened longer story for another day (laughs) Um, I love saving things from the landfill and it turns out that handbags and accessories is one of the most amazing categories to resell in. Um, not only because the items are so durable, they have such a long life span most of the time, especially if they're leather, um, they're, you can repair them, you can refurbish them, you can upcycle them, mm-hmm. and people pay for bags. They pay for shoes. Those are probably like the two biggest mm-hmm. ones, right? Um, they pay up for them and they're kind of recession proof because people will look at a bag and go, well, I'll pay a hundred dollars for that because I'm going to have that bag for the next five years. It's going to look great. And um, it's going to save me money down, you know, the line, same with a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. So in terms of reselling, it's, it's a perfect high average sale price business model. Um, You know, if you, take care of the bags and the shoes, they will take care of you for sure. <laughs> I agree um, with that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting to hear your story because um, I'm sure, I'm sure people who don't know you had no idea or that know you by Instagram had no idea that you worked in the fashion world. I only knew that because when we got to know each other during the pandemic, you had shared that. So Annette yeah. and I and Jen, we all met on Clubhouse <laughs> back in 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how we all met. And um, 
and Annette had shared her story, but I think your knowledge of how to design your understanding of all of that construction, leather, all of those things really play into how you've been able to build your platform. And it's carried over into reselling because obviously you're able to touch something and say, okay, this is interesting. I may not recognize the brands, but I know that this material, the construction, the way the bag looks, the way it's stitched, this is quality. So let me dive a little deeper where the average person may be like, okay, I think this is good. I don't know. I mean- it looks like it's a good thing, you know, and I think it's it's so interesting to hear people's transition when they're full time yeah. resellers from this is what my past looked like. And then I kind of fell into this and now it's evolved into something that I never thought it was going to evolve into. And you're still using your degree and you're still using yes. all the crafts and the skills that you that you gained in the past. They're just furthering your career in reselling. And I think that's an important thing to remember where I'm in immigrant child as well my my parents were off the boat from Italy so um they my dad had his own business but they instilled in me as in a very as a very very young child that I was going to college I was gonna be the first one in the family to go to college like that was very important to them so it became very important to me um I don't regret going I don't regret the education that I got the, the loans I don't love but I don't regret getting my undergraduate and getting my graduate degree because those skills that I acquired, I use in my everyday job. I'm not in the field that I thought I was going to be in. I'm in a completely different field now. And I always knew I wanted to be in business, but I never understood how I was going to be in business. And it took until 2018 for me to really realize, oh, well, I mean, I've always sold things on the side. I've sold my books. I mean, just like when eBay was a babe and we would throw things up there, yeah. books and whatever, whatever we had, uh, right? And we hope we got money days. for it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was different. <laughs> and uh, Craigslist, how many things we sold on Craigslist to local people and met mm-hmm. up with them and didn't think twice about it because everyone was good, right? Like the internet was such a new yeah. thing. Um, yes. And, and I think when you're in that world and one day you're like, wait, why don't I just do this on a more like, solid business level like I can I can do this I can grow this it's just very motivating to hear other people say the same thing um and I that when you mentioned immigrant family it just it resonates with me because if you come from that background you understand what that means there's a different I don't want to say pressure but it is kind of like a pressure that gets put on you because your family expects or anticipates something because they came here for a particular reason um, for better opportunity that they don't didn't have at the time um, yeah. in their country, and I'm the firstborn, so that all Ooh, fell on that's me. Tough. That's yeah. really tough. Yep. Yeah, I was the firstborn, so I'm the secondborn. So I had a, a little more lenient, slightly, slightly <laughs> yeah. more relaxed. <laughs> yeah, like I would say that with my sister it was way more relaxed with her. I mean, she still there was an expectation, but not like with me. Um, but yeah, it, it it just it molds your brain a different way. I feel like when yeah. you when you have that immigrant um, mentality, because it's who I am. I can't get rid of that. You know, I may have been born here in America, but that that is a part of who I am as a person. But anyway, for me, I had to really like evolve the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want what better way to honor my parents and their their ancestors than to find the best life yep. for myself and to yep. live that life. What better way? Um, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I can't think of a better one. And so that gave me the courage to transition and live with the uncertainty Mm -hmm. um, that I did, especially for those first two years, reselling, trying to figure it out. Right. Making things better little by little, messing up. Um, I think also as a female, it's kind of harder to do that messy start or that chaotic start that you sometimes yep. hear uh, entrepreneurs talk about. Like we want to kind of see every step along the way. 
Um, and it, I had to really develop my sense of like trusting the process yep. and I don't have all the answers and how can I sit with those feelings of uncertainty, sit with those feelings of potential, you know, failure, um, and how can I rise from that and continue to move towards this amazing life that I'm trying to build for myself. And you're doing a great job at it. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> well, think about it. In 2018, did you ever think you'd be where you are now? Girl, I never thought if you told me in 2015 that this would be my life now, I could never have given you the answer that I'm living. And what that has taught me is to always hold space for the impossible, always hold yeah. space for the mystery, um, because you just don't know. It could be way better than you expected. People are always thinking of how terrible it could be, but man, it could be so much. Mm -hmm. You can't even imagine for yourself how amazing things can get for you. Um, and that's kind of what's been happening to me. Like, you know, the way my social media has grown, the platform that I found for myself, um, you know, the reselling business, vintage coach, all of that. It's just like, I, you know, I tell people all the time, like I didn't start this out thinking I was going to rehab bags, you know, yeah. I, I, I thought I was going to be more of like just teaching people about brands and teaching mm -hmm. people about like, you know, finding quality and it just has evolved and I'm just letting it grow. That's my yeah. job is to just is to let it grow and see where it takes me. Well, you brought it up. So let's get into rehabbing bags. What yeah. made you get into that aspect? Like, one day you were like, I'm just going to paint this and see what happens. <laughs> you know what it is? People get rid of their bags for the silliest reasons. That they do. The silliest reasons. They get a weird, you know, food stain inside the lining and they don't use it anymore. And then they give it away to Goodwill. When really just a little soap and water could get that stain out and you're back in business. Um, and so quickly, what I realized when I started committing to bags as a category to sell in was that if I could get good at even just fixing some of those small things, mm -hmm. um, I had an edge over everybody else, right? Because the, uh, that's going to be that bag at the bins or the Goodwill that people are leaving behind, even though it's Claire V, even though it's Celine, even though it's Alexander McQueen, Longchamp. Um, These are all real things that Annette has found, by the way. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> She's not just um, naming brands. <laughs> you know, they leave them behind because they don't know how to get the pen marks out or they don't want to deal with the scuffs on the mm -hmm. outside or they don't realize that a coat of, you know, matching leather paint could just completely bring this bag back to life. And so it kind of just spiraled out of control for me. <laughs> You know, I went from like, how can I fix these little stains and scuffs to, right. oh, okay, well, you know, I discovered the recoloring balm and how that could make bags look like almost brand new. And in the bag world, in the accessory world, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that the condition of the item plays a big role in the price you can get for it. Now, my business model is a higher ASP, meaning I want to sell less items for more money. So to me, investing a little bit of time and energy into those pieces, um, it, it brings me a huge return. And so I just like, I realized really quickly that the more I could teach myself and learn about this, the more money I could ask per item and that that was giving me an edge over everybody else that was just focused on volume, focused on finding things that were kind of ready to resell, you know, didn't need any fixing or rehab. Um, and I just went, you know what, well, I'm going to, I'm going to find my niche here and I'm going to be the one picking up those bags that no one else wants to deal with. And I'm going to flip them. And a lot of my page and my content is around doing that. What would you say? Cause we, I have had this question asked in the Patreon group, in my DMS, I have this vintage bag or I have a bag in general and it's got these stains on the interior and I want to rehab it. What do you do? And when you tell someone to dunk a bag in water, they flip <laughs> out. So yeah. let's have a cut that conversation because that <laughs> is what you can do guys. You can yes. put real leather bags in water. So let's walk people through that process. 
Okay, so what I always counsel people is to go from what the bag is made out of and how it's made. Generally, if it has a fabric lining on the inside, it's not a bag that I would dunk. I would spot clean that. Mm -hmm. um, there will be other people who will disagree wildly with me on that. And I've seen people on Instagram like toss leather bags in the washing machine and it turned out fine. Please know, people, that is a gamble. 100%. Yes. It may or may not work out. <laughs> the only bag I've ever thrown in the washing machine would be a nylon bag that I knew, even if it got damaged, yes. I'd be okay with it. <laughs> all fabric bags, like all nylon bags, all canvas bags, those are super safe to put in the washing machine. Um, even maybe a fabric bag that has a little bit of leather trim, I could risk that in yeah. the machine. But the more materials the bag has, the less I would counsel mm -hmm. you to put it in the machine or bathe it in water because those different materials will react differently to water. You know, um, they may shrink, they may expand, that will cause puckering or pulling mm -hmm. at the seams. And so um, a lot of times spot cleaning will is, is the best way to go. Um, and I have a ton of free content on my page, you know, talking about how to spot train, treat stains, um, how to clean different types of suede, how to clean different types of leather. Um, it's really, you know, if you just invest even just a little in your education in this area, it really will return sevenfold for you. Um, and like I said, most bags that are donated, are, they're donated for silly reasons. You know, oh, I got a scuff on the bottom. Um, people instantly devalue the bag so much. And I'm just like, no, like, you know, I can't count the number of times people have um, booked my, my consultation service. They'll send me pictures of a bag with an issue. And I'll be like, that really doesn't look that bad. Um, you know, just do this and this and, and sell as is, you know, uh, people donate bags for the silliest reasons. So really no, go, go, if ahead. You, go ahead. If you learn how to treat even just basic things, it, it was going to make you money. What, so what would you say is a reason you would not rehab a bag? Like, is there specific things that you're like, yeah, this is an absolute no, not worth my time. Where I'm at now, personally, if a bag requires like a replacement, um, piece I was just like gonna I'm ask that like do you replace pieces <laughs> I could I have the knowledge to do it but I don't have the time or the tools to do it um I'll do a little bit of hand sewing on a bag like literally hand mm -hmm. sewing if I need to but it's got to be very minimal um I don't have a machine and I don't always have the time you know to do that kind of deep deep repair but um I can repair um, some holes now with leather filler. I talk a lot about that on my page. Um, but just anything that is either like, you know, like a crazy rip or tear in the exterior um, or it needs a replacement piece, I'm not really set up to do that. Um, but a cobbler should be able to do that um, if I really, really needed it. When would you make that distinction of like, okay, this is something I can bring to a cobbler and it may cost me $30 for him to fix it, but it's still worth that investment in the piece for me to then sell it. So this is where you need to beef up on your brand knowledge in order to answer that question for yourself in the moment when you're thrifting. Um, I have a pretty good handle on that because of my background in design. I spent years doing what we call comp shopping or comparison shopping, where literally we would take a day every month and go to the stores in New York City and just look at what was going on in Lord & Taylor, what was going on in Macy's, um, different boutiques. Sometimes we go to Soho and it was just, you know, we were doing this in person and then we were doing this online. And so like, I have a really broad knowledge of, okay, well, this bag's really expensive. This brand's really expensive. This one isn't. Um, not that being said, I'm still learning. Mm. Um, I don't know everything, but I have a pretty firm knowledge in this. So for me, you know, when I found that Celine bag at the bins, I would have paid $50 to fix that. At, I would have paid a hundred dollars to fix that at a cobbler. 
um, if I could, that bag retails for fourteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I knew the Alexander McQueen bag was going to be worth a lot of money. I wasn't exactly sure. I didn't know the name of the style, but I knew the brand was high enough in terms of retail that it was going to be worth it for me to put the effort to fix that bag. Yeah. Um, so definitely learning your brands, you know, perusing the websites, go look at Netta Porter, go look at uh, Ukes, go look at um, Farfetch. Gosh, Modus Operandi. Yes. There's so All many. Those know your high end brands. Yeah. I think it's important to have that background knowledge when, especially when you're getting into more expensive brands, um, because there are instances where it's worth it to go to a cobbler and have him fix things. And then there are instances where it's just, even though it's a great brand, it's just not worth it because yeah. that style maybe doesn't yield a lot of money anymore. And maybe it's just so dated that people just don't even look for it. Or there's so much work that has to be done. You may only yes. make a very small profit. So is it worth it for you to buy the piece, bring it to the cobbler, have him work on it, pay whatever it is and then list it. Like there's a lot that you have to think about when you're doing that. You Um, make an excellent point. You make an excellent point. And the other thing I should have mentioned was that it's also a question that I can't really answer for people because I don't know your business model. If you're a volume seller and you're looking for a quick flip, then a lot of things aren't going to be worth it for you. Maybe even some high-end things aren't worth it for you because you're not interested in that. You don't want to spend the time doing that. If you're more interested in a higher average sale price, then maybe it is worth it for you. You know, I also don't know your schedule. I don't know what sparks joy in you. For me, rehabbing some of these bags sparks a lot of joy for me. I'm willing to put the effort in. That's not everyone and that's okay. You know, and I try to share on my page that you don't have to be a master rehabber you could just be, you could just have a basic kit, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, for the, those couple of times a year that you come across a bag that you know is worth money, but it needs a little fix or a little cleaning, it might be worth it for you to do. And if you have your kit ready to go, you're, you know, then you're set up for it. Um, a lot of reselling is doing what you love. I can't stress that enough. I, there are categories that I know make a lot of money and I can't, I can't pick them up like toys. I love watching toy resellers. It's fascinating to me what people will pay for, but I have no interest in listing toys. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if you're not interested in bags and it doesn't spark joy for you, like, you know, continue to lurk on my page, but maybe, you know, don't pick up bags to resell. (laughs) Well, I think the good thing too, with bags, if you have the knowledge base of how to rehab and restore bags, you can easily apply it to shoes. So if you are a shoe seller and that's where you want to be, whatever tools and, and, and skills you have in bags translate directly to shoes. There's Uh, like little differences, right? With the rubber soles and all of that. But in terms of leather, like it's the same process. And there's a lot of things that you can do yourself when it comes to rehabbing shoes. And then there's some things that I just would never do myself. And I would go to my cobbler immediately when it comes to fixing (laughs) shoes. Can I fix a heel cap myself? Yes. Do I want to? No, I don't. I don't want to do that. So I go to my cobbler, (laughs) you know, um, if there's soles, I've fixed soles before. It's a pain in the butt. I don't enjoy doing it, but I've done it. Like, you know, there's, there's something really special about having skills in leather in particular that just tra- it translates to even leather um, jackets, leather dresses, like leather in general. Once you understand the process and the the chemistry of it and, and, and rehabbing it, it applies to all the different categories, which is why I think what you do is so special, Annette, because, yes, you're showcasing it on bags, but the tools, the products, the skills that you're showing can really go across the board in all different categories of that particular material. That is so true, and I'm glad that you're highlighting that. I hope that that's coming across on my page. I do try to feature other accessory categories. Um Belts, gloves, cold weather is a great category. Ties. Oh man, I've I've sold some ties for so much money. Um, if but you've got to be smart about it and you've got to keep your business model in mind. Um, not every 
business model is going to work with every strategy. And it's up to you to kind of extract that from people's content. And I hope that's what people are doing with mine. Um, Cause it's not, it's not one answer fits all for everyone. Yeah. Um, what are some tools that you like to use? Like what are like your top five that you have to have when it comes to rehabbing? Gosh, um, I would invest in some leather CPR for sure. Um, that works in a wide variety of leathers that are minimally treated to somewhat treated. Um, I would invest in some black rock, which is a conditioner. Um, I recommend it on my page all the time. By the way, not affiliated with any of these <laughs> companies or products. This is not sponsored. No. Um, but if they rock- want to sponsor and they're listening, by all means. <laughs> Please, please DM me. Yes. (laughs) Um, Blackrock is amazing. It's a conditioner. It works on a wide variety of leathers. And I, by the way, recommend this over Doc Martin's Wonder Balsam. I don't um, like it. As like Dr. Martin's, I don't like it. I've never bought it. Well, I I used it once because a friend had it and I've never bought it because I've just found other things that work better. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I know some people really use it as a panacea for all their their leathers. And the truth is that's great for Doc Martin products and maybe shoes that really need like heavy waterproofing. It's not great for all leathers and it's definitely not good for all handbags. Um, Agreed. So I, I recommend BlackRock. It's, it's a very similar, but it's less waxy and it's just a rich conditioner. Um, I would also invest in um, some kind of scuff cover. Like I use the furniture clinic recoloring balm a lot. Um, there's a lot of controversy by the way, around that product or that type of product. Yeah. Um, that I like that product because it doesn't, um, it's not waxy. It's not like a paint. It's not, it doesn't sit on the surface of the leather. It soaks into the areas that are dry or worn or scuffed. And it really blends in. Um, I there are some people who are purists in, especially in the vintage coach community, where they find using that product is like a big no no. I'm okay with it personally. I, it it has really brought so many bags to life, in my opinion, that it's worth it. And remember, I work with a lot of beat up bags. Mm-hmm. Like really, they look horrible. And you can see some of my transformations on Instagram. Um, so I need tools like that a lot of the times to improve the bags and get them looking, you know, closer to how they did when they were new. Um, you don't always need an item like that, but it's a great tool to have in your arsenal, in my opinion. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm trying to think what else. A leather protection cream is also really great. This will seal in the color balm if you're using that. And even if you're not, this helps repel dirt and water and general wear on the leather. That's also a really great investment. Um, also get like get a black dye, a black leather dye. Um, if that one's maybe for people who are like more into it and like like rehabbing bags. Um I have so many leather dyes. It's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I have like a whole cabinet filled with different colors. It has absolutely spiraled for me. Um, But black is great because you're going to, you're going to come up against bags that have flaws that you can't fix. Yep. But a lot of times a coat of leather dye is going to make them look brand spanking new. And then you can charge top dollar for them. And I get this question a lot, so I'm just going to answer it now that we're talking about it. A lot of people wonder, um, you know, do you disclose if you have dyed a leather item? And my answer is always yes. And what I do is I say it's custom dyed. So I try to frame it as a positive as opposed to like a negative. I say, yeah, like here's a custom dyed, you know, shoe that you're not going to find anywhere else. 
um, and it's in great condition, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, disclose. People love to know that. They love to know that their bag is coming in freshly conditioned and freshly mm -hmm. cleaned. They like to know that you know, they're getting a custom pair of shoes that like, it's in a color that nobody has. Like people like those details. I find, <laughs> I, I think people also appreciate you as a seller. Um, not only telling them that, but like giving life to it, to this piece, like it's unique. It's different. Um, I yeah. have come across shoes like luxury shoes that are beat that no one would probably touch. I just take black leather dye and I make them like I don't care what color it is I just make it black and then I put don't they some come out so good yes and I put some acrylic shine on there call it a day mm -hmm. like make it nice and pretty you know shine it all up and it's great the only time that I struggle with it if it's patent leather I know it can be done but it's a pain and I don't like doing patent leather I'll do it if it's like a really good shoe but <laughs> I'm more of like Give, just yeah. give me the soft buttery leather. Um, and I won't touch suede. I really don't like rehabbing suede. I've had so many negative experiences rehabbing suede that I just stay away from it. Oh, no. Yes. I just oh, feel gosh. like it doesn't come out the way that I want it to. Like, it's always too stiff for me. Like, what, what are your tips then for suede? Well, dyeing suede, I've had really good experiences with it. Um, and you know, as anytime you die, if you don't like it, you can always go straight to black. It sells yeah. well. It covers everything. Um, I like dyeing suede because it, it does come out so vibrant when mm. you are done with it and you don't have to seal it with anything like yeah. you do when you paint a leather bag or a patent leather bag. Um, because it's so porous suede is an undyed unfinished leather. So it's super porous and it's going to, it's going to drink up your dye and it's going to remain vibrant once again um yeah i i suede i think it gets a bad rap it's actually not as hard to deal with as you might think and i and i get it because i was there with you guys too when i first started you know dealing with suede stuff um i think people get discouraged discouraged cuz the lighter colors look really dirty and they get dirty really quickly but um, now I look at that as like, well, the lighter the color, like the darker I can dye it and the That's nicer true. it's going to look again. <laughs> do you so, wash yeah. it? How do you clean the suede? Yes. Yeah. So I use the Angelus Easy Cleaner to okay. do that um, and a suede brush. That's what I call my wet method. And both of these are, I have the dry and the wet method. It's documented on my um, Instagram page and the wet method is just going over it with the easy cleaner and a brush and you pat it dry and let it you know fully dry and I've had great success with that cleaner okay. um, and then the dry method is using the suede eraser and the brush and just trying to you know erase it off as much as you can and that's been great too and the eraser works by the way on like patent leathers and other finished leathers um I always experiment with that eraser because sometimes it gets a scuff off and you're like, oh, great, done. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of tools you should have, you should have a suede eraser. In that your I agree with. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Suede eraser yeah. and a brush. It's super important. And it it works on clothing too because I've used it on clothes that, that are suede or jackets that have suede on it. And I just rub it and it mm -hmm. gets it off. I think the experience, what, what my first experience with suede was I did it wrong. And um the suede was like it completely lost its texture it was already damaged to begin with and it just became this like hard just not attractive piece and I dyed it and oh. it just wasn't it and I ended up redonating it so I hope someone loves it that that, that ended up getting yes. it yes um but I I always tend to shy away especially if it's a suede and then um like a soft leather combo because I I've seen a lot of purses like that or um even shoes that have a mix of suede and leather, I tend to stay away from that because it's the two different textures and it makes me a little nervous about that. Um, but when it comes to just full on leather, I am, I like, I am not scared. I am not scared to dunk it, to scrub it, to spray paint it. I don't care. Like I am not scared to do that. And there's some really yeah. creative accounts. If you guys are looking for accounts to follow, there's one woman in particular, I, I don't remember the accounts top of my head, but her reels are always popping up in the Instagram community and she takes damaged um, leather shoes, wallets, whatever. And she like paints them with foam or paints them in like all these different, like I pretty think I ombre know colors. Talking about. It is fascinating yeah. to me. And she has created a yeah. custom shoe for like, 
whatever people want. She paints them by hand. Like it is just, it is beautiful to watch. And she's taking like run down shoes that no one would touch. She's stripping everything off and then she's painting on whatever she wants to paint on there. And um, I think that's such a creative market to get into. Yeah. Because people want that. It's really, really, it's a powerful tool as a reseller to have in your belt, just the ability to fix anything. If, if Even if you're a sewer, an upcycler, or, you know, you do custom shoes or custom bags because you can then afford to purchase, you know, Louis Vuitton for $50 because it's super beat up and ripped. And then you can then, you know, do whatever you do to that mm-hmm. and sell it for way more money than you paid for it you you can then shop in those areas that no one else will shop in because they just they don't know how to fix it whatever mm-hmm. um it, it's really really amazing what you can do these days and i i just encourage people you know you know it doesn't have to be leather it could be sewing it could be gosh there's, there's so many possibilities upcycling like whatever you love to do use that as a tool as a reseller and i personally think there's no better time to niche down Mm -hmm. um, as a seller because the more specialized your knowledge is in your category the more you can use those kinds of things to your advantage and we everyone needs whatever advantage they can get right now because it's crazy out there (laughs) yeah it's real hard (laughs) as we speak right now it's really difficult Um, yes but whatever you can do to kind of stand out to the to the consumer I think is the most important thing. And maybe for one person, it's sewing things together, creating patchwork items, hats, whatever it is, uh, scarves. I mean, right now, patchwork is so big in the upcycling world. I mean, there are so many designers coming out. Crochet. Yes. I see like designers taking those granny blankets that you can barely, you know, resell for anything. They cut them up, they make pants, they make jackets, and they look so freaking cool. Yeah. So there's so much opportunity out there. Um, And I think that's really what it comes down to is if you're comfortable kind of diving in, I always tell people, if you want to try rehabbing, but like you're not comfortable with the process, get a really, really cheap bag at the thrift store, get a couple of them, get four of them. I don't care. They're three bucks a piece and destroy them. Do whatever, do all your research, test things out, see what happens when you do, you know, one bag, one way compared to another way. And then, you know, do what you want with those bags. You could try to sell them or, you know, you can give them to a little kid to play with, you know, when they play dress up, there's so many different things you can do, but buy those affordable bags at the thrift store, test out the different fabrics, and then you kind of get a feel for, okay, this is kind of fun. I enjoy this. Or, okay, this fabric's really hard for me. I, I really don't know too much about it. Let me research it a little bit more. And I, I just think that's the best way to do it. Just dive in. That's excellent advice. I would recommend that as well to anyone who's has anxieties around trying things, dying things. Um, and there's never a better time to do it right now because knowledge is really literally making people money right now. I know. It's just so crazy how much the world has changed over the last three years. Man, it's you're not, so yeah. different. Everything is so different. The way that you can monetize, the way that you can sell things. It's just a totally different world. And I feel like I almost feel like an old timer sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense. Like I'm only 36, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Why is that a thing? You know, embrace the wonder, embrace the change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. So we talked about the rehab. The other side of you is vintage coach. and. Um, for those who are in the Patreon group, Annette is going to be doing a special episode for us as one of your bonus episodes. We're going to talk all about Bonnie Cashin and Bonnie Cashin. Well, she was just really important to coach. And I'm sure Annette will give a little, a little spiel on that in this segment. Um, let's get into vintage coach. Why vintage coach? Number one, like what was the alert to vintage coach? Was it you just had a lot in your area or you liked it from before? Okay. Um, On my reselling journey, I was starting to think about what kind of business I wanted to have. And I, you know, started landing on, I wanted to sell less and, and uh, make more per sale. And so then that led me to start focusing on the things that I had already sold, what was doing well for me, where were the opportunities? And um, I had sold some vintage coach before I had seen some content on the internet. Um, 
side note, I did an apprenticeship at Coach at the beginning oh. of my yeah, at the beginning of my design career. One of my first internships, I was there for two months um, when they were um, at their old offices. Now they're at Hudson Yards, but I, I when I was there, it was um, I think over by like 10th Avenue and I don't know 32nd Street or something like that. And um, so I was familiar with the brand. I had actually talked to their archivist at one point while I was there uh, randomly, um, but I didn't know. I didn't know there was this whole community. I didn't know that there were collectors. I didn't know that, um, you know, people were reselling and, and looking for these bags. And so when I started looking at what was making me money, I was like, wow, like this vintage coach sold for $179. Like, that's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, and from there, it just like I went down the rabbit hole. Um, I started looking at, well, what what are the best selling styles? Um, what what colors are people looking for? What makes them special? Um, then I started, you know, teaching myself well, how to, to decode the serial numbers and, um, you know, what was the history? And, and I'm still learning to this day, but I I've made it my mission to bring that knowledge to the community through my social media content because nobody was aggregating it, right? You could, anyone can go on Google right now and discover everything that I've discovered. But there was no place where if you were focused on reselling bags and accessories, you could find like, where, how do I read the the serial number? And, and you know, how do I date my bag? And, um, you know, what styles are selling really well? What are the names of the styles? Super important when you're listing them. So one of the things I've done is I've started what I call the uh, CO resource on my website, accessbaggage.com. Um, I'm adding to it all the time. It's literally just a, I guess, like catalog of all the vintage coach styles that I've sold. And if you are looking to ID your bag, you can go there. It's free to everyone. Um, and if I've sold it, I'll put it up on there. I'll put the style number, I'll put the name, I'll put the dimensions, and there's a picture of the bag as well. So you can compare. Um, it's also an open resource. So if you don't see your bag there and you want to have it added, just send me an email, um, and a picture and we can get it up on there. I really was, I was thinking of the Vintage Guild, which is another great resource, yes. um, out there at the website. And I was like, wow, I want to I wanna have this for bags. And I started with Vintage Coach. And um, I don't know, again, where that's going to go. But for now, it's Vintage Coach. And um, I really hope that one day that becomes the page where if you, even if you're not a handbag seller, but you found a Vintage Coach and you want to sell it, I hope you can go to that as a resource and find the correct information and get your bag listed and get the most money because you had the right style number, you had the right um, style name, because um, that's how collectors will find you. That's how people who are in the community will find you and find your listing. And, you know, they're the ones willing to invest in those bags. So it was, it's been a crazy ride with Vintage Coach. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's great, number one, that you you're building this knowledge base and you're sharing it with everyone, because I feel like over the course of the last five years or so, not only has coach, I mean, really started to rise again as it was like back in the early 2000s, right? And even before in time, if we go really yeah. back to when it first started, but the idea of owning a vintage bag from coach, from Chanel, from all these different brands is more desirable than owning the newest and latest thing that they're coming out with. And I think the more that we can give people the knowledge of vintage coach, because let me tell you, it gets faked every day. Vintage coach yeah. gets faked so easily. And some of them look really, really good. I've been duped. You've been duped. <laughs> like yes. there are some that you, they feel identical and they look identical, but there's just something that's just a little off. And, um, and it's hard because they're getting good at making these dupes and it's, it's frustrating. Number one, um, but you need to have a resource to go to, to be, to be confident in this piece, because like you said, a lot of people collect these vintage items, just like a lot of people collect certain vintage luxury brands. They have walls dedicated to all these vintage pieces. Museums collect them. You'd be surprised. There are designers or design teams, I should say, 
that are scouring the internet looking for specific vintage items. Wow. Yeah. I've had certain designers, um, well, design teams, I should say, contact me for certain shoes or certain bags that I've had that were in, in a luxury brand because they're looking at it for inspiration for something that they're creating or they want to add it back to their archives that they have and they've had a hard time finding it. So you never know who's coming across your items um, and and who's buying them. There's so many people out there in the world that are buying these things. Um so what would you say are the top tips for people if they're if they're looking at a vintage coach bag, they're in the thrift store and they come across what they think is a vintage coach bag. What are like the dead giveaways that okay, yep, this is this is definitely a vintage coach. Well, first of all, it's got to be real leather. Um they there's some fakes that are just plain made out of fake leather and you don't need to look any further. It's <laughs> just not real leather. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's got to be real leather. Um the next place to check is the serial number. It needs to be in a known format. Um, they only used certain formats. And what do I mean by that is um, there's, for example, uh, seven numbers total. There's either three and then four or four and then three um, and then so on. And, and they're more modern numbers now are quite are a bit longer than that. But there's still a set format, right? There's only certain numbers. Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC number positions or letter positions they used. Um, and if you're curious about that, I do have a graphic pinned to the top of my Instagram page that kind of is a very quick, handy guide um, to get you started on, on what does that look like and what to look for. So a lot of times you can tell a bag is fake because there's only three numbers or four numbers in the, in the serial number uh, on the Creed stamp inside. So that's a dead giveaway. Um, the other thing you can look at is the creed itself. Um, I haven't found this yet, but I've heard that if there's any spelling errors, um, that's a dead giveaway, um, that it's not authentic. And then um, one of the other ways you can tell, this one's probably a little bit more involved, but um, the way the bag is constructed, um, if there's a seam in, in a spot that's not supposed to be in, that's probably a fake. Um, if you're not familiar with bag construction, which I imagine most people aren't, one way you can confirm that is by going online, look at two or three listings of the same bag. If they're all missing that seam or they all have that seam, you know, you can start to use that as points of comparison. And you can do this, by the way, with any bag brand that you can find listings of or even go to the website for the brand. Um, that's a really quick way to authenticate for yourself. Um, trying to think what else can I mention one yeah hardware no. the hardware on vintage coach yeah is heavy <laughs> it's made of brass um, yeah. at least the early vintage ones were now they use lighter um, yeah. alloys but the vint the vintage ones were brass um, and a lot of them oxidize and you get that little bit of green verdigris yeah. Um, on them, which by the way, you can clean off very easily. Um, yeah, you know, you again, compare your bag's hardware to the hardware you find in other people's listings, because that that'll, if you, you know, you find two or three listings that have the same hardware and yours looks different, it's probably a sign that you something wrong with your bag, right? So the hardware is another good uh, point of authentication. And of course, you can always get third-party authentication, but I never recommend that to people because it doesn't hold up legally in court and marketplaces don't have to accept that as a valid form of authentication. That's really just for you to know that you're not selling fakes, um, but don't expect other marketplaces or, um, you know, legal arenas to uphold that um, authentication. Good point. Um, I have two things. One, 
Have you ever come across a vintage coach bag that does not have a creed inside? Yes. Yes. That, thank you for mentioning that. The really early bags, like from the late seventies, they just have a little tiny metal plaque that's stuck on that says coach and there's no creed inside that was developed a little bit later. Um, and I think some of the super early ones also might not even have anything inside them at all, or they might have a woven tag, like a vintage woven tag that says Bonnie Cashin for coach or something like that. Those are really vintage and they're, they're super rare and hard to find. Um, but it's very exciting when you do, because they can go for thousands of dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was my other question? Oh God, I just lost it. Well, also oh. small SLGs will probably not have a creed in them at all. Yeah, oh, that sorry. makes SLGs, sense. SLGs, small leather goods, like little cosmetic pouches and wallets and coin purses and wristlets and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I have found, I found once, one time when I first started reselling and I wasn't sure if it was real or not, but I went off of solely like what it felt like, what it looked like and yeah. the stitching and all of that. And it was real, but it was, it had to be one of the, one of, I guess, more of the original pieces. I just didn't know what I had at the time. It didn't have a creed in it, but it was like, it had the raw leather hide on the inside. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, I didn't know what I had. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Some of the early pieces have also colorful striped linings inside of them. Or I didn't know that. One that had like a plaid lining. Yeah. But that's like, that's definitely Bonnie Cashin for coach really early, early, like, 70s vintage pieces I had um I had one small it was like a little baguette kind of style um shoulder bag I don't know if it was Bonnie Cashin or not so I didn't label it as that but it was definitely that 70s time period I kept it for myself for a long time and ended up selling it on eBay for like 300 bucks um to a collector yeah of course Uh, some guy kept like lowballing me 50 bucks I'm like dude it's not happening (laughs) (laughs) nice try I know this is rare (laughs) Um, my other question is what would you say are maybe the top three um, vintage coach bags that sell for a good resale value definitely the Willis we love we love Willis yeah if you don't know what the Willis is go check out my IG page I have a reel talking about the Willis and the station bag because they're often confused the station bag is also really popular um if you ever find a winnie it's basically a mini willis it looks like the willis but it's a minier size so cute that one's worth a lot of money um like in the hundreds and um any of the rarer styles so rarer being like earlier um like late 70s early 70s if you can find anything from that time period even if it's a necessarily not a popular style but it's from that time period that will sell for really good money um when they started doing their catalogs in the late 70s there are some styles in there that they never ever did again um or they they maybe did once or twice and then they didn't really ever reproduce anymore um so those definitely go for more money and then the color the color of the leather and the color of the hardware are also factors. So for example, reds and blues um, will sell for more money. If you find green, like the bottle green, that can sell for probably the most money. Um, British tan is also very popular though. It's more common, but it's still a popular color. Um, Flannel gray was another color they did that Mm. a lot of people love. and then um, gold was a, the most common hardware tone. But if you can find um, bags with the silver hardware the, or the nickel tone, those you can charge more money for them. I think they were only produced briefly. Um, I want to say in like sometime in the 90s, I might be wrong with that time period, but um, I think they were just pr- produced briefly and then that's why they've become rarer because there just weren't that many of them made. They're not necessarily like super vintage. Um, but yeah, and definitely any of the Bonnie Cashin styles, like the feed bag, um, the Musette, the Crescent bag. 
any of those will definitely be a lot more money. And that's why it's so important to have the right and style name when you're reselling and listing your bag, um, because that's going to bring you the right buyer for sure. They're Googling that. Um, And also the right style number will help you out a lot as well. All good points. Um, I have found numerous Willis bags and they sell so quick. People love them. And the fun fact is Coach is making them again. (laughs) Um, They reissue them. Yes. Some of them are the same bag, but newer. And then mm -hmm. some of them are refurbished Mm -hmm. and they sell them for like a lot of money. Oh my gosh. It's insane. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and that brings me to one more point. Condition is also a huge factor when reselling these bags. One mistake I see all the time is somebody will have a Willis and they'll know they have a Willis but it's in bad need of a rehab. It's smashed up. It's lost its shape. It may be they're scuffing on the piping. Um, it hasn't been conditioned in a long time. They, they're photographing it, you know, as a, as a flat lay, it's all smashed up. And they're asking, you know, two, $300 for it because they see, oh, it's a Willis. Like that's what Willis's are going for. No, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. The the Willis's that are, you know, conditioned and reshaped and, you know, somewhat restored or in good condition, those are going for two, three hundred dollars. Your scuffed up, smashed up Willis is not going to sell for as much money. Mm-hmm. The beauty is it doesn't take a lot to fix up that bag if you're willing to do it and then you can flip it for quite a bit of money. But if you're unwilling to do that work, that's fine too. It'll still sell, but you'll be accepting a lower price because you haven't put in the work to improve the condition of the bag. Yeah. So it's really in your best interest to rehab a bag. It really is. <laughs> the bags pay. The bags pay. They pay me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you tell someone who is maybe newer or skeptical into getting into the world of maybe of um, rehabbing or just leather goods in general? What advice would you give to them to kind of get their feet wet and, and get into that in that groove? You know, start small and see how you like it. Um, I I don't want people investing in this and then realizing I hate cleaning bags. I hate, you know, having to deal with this. Um, there's nothing worse. And I, I want you to direct your energies into things that you like doing and are going to give you a great return. So start really small, test the waters. I think your advice of like, you know, getting some cheap bags from the bins or something and experimenting on them is great because that'll give you um, a lot of data as to how you feel about doing the projects and what your, you know, comfortability is. If you're, are you interested in building this skill set and learning more and deep diving this, or maybe you're not. And, you know, there, this is a, this is a spectrum. You don't have to go straight to master restorer Um, maybe you just stay at like, well, I've got, you know, some leather cleaner and, um, you know, some black rock conditioner. And if I can, you know, get away with fixing up the bag with that, then that's fine. That's as far as I'm willing to go. If it's too complicated, I'm not going to pick it up. Nothing wrong with that there. You know, I, I, my goal is to just get people even to just that first basic level and maybe they can save two or three bags a year. Maybe there's other people that are willing to get into it a little bit more. They love it. They're saving a couple more bags a year, you know, because it's 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 something that doesn't break down easily in a landfill, um, especially faux leather. That's don't get me started. <laughs> um, but if we can get these bags back into circulation that's a win. That's a win for you as a reseller. You're making money. And that's a win for me as part of your community, because that bag is not going to be rotting away in a landfill, wasting resources, and someone might buy it. And then maybe they might not buy a new bag that year. And you've conserved resources that way. So it's it's a win, win, win on so many levels. And if, if I can just get people to realize that like just a little bit of effort, if that's all you're willing to do, it can make a huge difference and you can ask for so much more money when you resell your bag. Like who doesn't love more money? 
Mm-hmm. It's true. And as you we were talking, I was just thinking, if you come across a lot of leather goods and you have no interest in rehabbing them, then why don't you just become a shopper for people like Annette? And Ooh. right. And then yeah. reach out and be like, hey, I found these bags. I need a lot of work, but they cost me like five bucks. You want them? Bet you she'd say yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely some bags I will would say yes to for sure yeah if you're willing to sell them at, at a, a a low cost for sure there's other people like me who are willing to do this kind of work as well yeah um and I think that's a great suggestion you know I would do the same for I have a friend who loves like reselling bras I hate reselling bras I know they're good money I know they're easy to list in store but like I'm just not into it mm-hmm. so I always toss her whatever I find at the bins. Cause I know she likes, she likes a quick flip. Yeah. So before we get going, I want people to know, um, Annette has a Facebook page. That you guys can join for free. Um, I'm going to link her Instagram page, which everything is on her Instagram page, but Annette also does these lives. I don't know when you do them. I feel like they're <laughs> random, but they're the most, they are like, random. They're like the most <laughs> soothing and relaxing thing because she's just restoring something and rehabbing or cleaning. So if you're bored one night and you head over to Annette's page and she's live, watch it because you're probably going to fall asleep. Annette's voice is so soothing when she's doing it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I, they are random. And I, I recently discovered though, that you can schedule lives on Instagram. Oh, okay. So I've been trying to give people a little bit of a heads up because normally after I do them, I'll get a barrage of comments where like people were like, I'm so, you know, sad that I missed you or like I I wanted to rewatch that or whatever. And the lives are fun. They're just like, you know, I'll work on a project and chat with the community while I'm doing that. And it's open to all kinds of like reselling topics, rehabbing topics. People ask questions about what I'm working on. Um, it's just a fun way for me to engage with you guys and, you know, also get through some of my projects, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot funner with, uh, yep. with some friends by your Absolutely. And if you're in the Patreon group, head on over guys and uh, catch the Bonnie Cashin episode that we are going to release along with this one. But thank you so much, Jeanette, for being here, for having this conversation, for being a part of Thrifters Villa. Um, well, you're welcome back me. anytime. <laughs> and I hope people found this episode helpful. I hope they learned something new. Um, and Annette's DMs are always open, so feel free to head on over there. She also has a consultation um, button on her Instagram. So if you guys have any questions and you want her expertise, she has that option as well. Um, but we are going to end here. It was so nice chatting with everyone. We will be back next week. Bye.